You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hola, bienvenidos, welcome back. This is your host, David Orozco, with the One Small Bite Podcast. And this is a podcast where we talk about weight inclusive, body positive, and anti-diet approaches to finding that self-compassion so that you can build a more positive relationship to food, eating, your body, so that you can eat in line with what your values are and so that you can move past this weight stigma and fat phobia that we have going on in our society on a regular basis. In this podcast, we bring in difficult conversations and thought-provoking ideas that lead us towards that path. And today, especially, I do that with my special guest, which is Ken Thomas. He is a social worker who focuses on body liberation coaching and is passionate about helping others find freedom and a greater sense of home in their bodies. Kent received his BA in psychology from Western Washington University and a Master of Social Work degree from the University of Washington, Tacoma. As a gay man, Kent is especially passionate about helping queer men heal and create a fat-positive and inclusive gay community. He is, in addition to a, being a body liberation coach, Kent is also a community organizer who advocates for queer inclusion in religious spaces and helps individuals tell their stories and heal from religious trauma. So I'm really excited to have Kent talk to us about his journey and how he maneuvered with being queer in a Christian community without losing his faith and being part of that community continues to be at the core of his belief and his work. He talks to us about his recovery from an eating disorder, and we have some great conversation about various topics, especially when it comes to maneuvering through healthism and intuitive eating. We talk about fitting in or belonging to certain groups or organizations, and we also talk about his relationships with food, unlearning and undoing the years of food and diet rules, and we also talk about diets promoted to men, what that means. We talk about healthism. We talk about men's health like cholesterol, and more importantly, this is beneficial because it gets to what body liberation is you have to tune in to the show to get a better understanding of body liberation and how that is beneficial to getting us to that place of making peace with food and enjoying our time in our bodies and moving past the very 
binary believing and thinking that our bodies are one thing and our body and ourselves are something else. So tune into this because it can really help transform the way we think and the way we behave. And I really think that Kent has a nice perspective on how to do that. All right, before we get started, I just want to remind you, please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our show so you can get these episodes downloaded directly to your podcast player of choice. Also, just know that we have a Facebook group community. Uh, feel free to look us up one small bite in your group search and follow us there. Also, if you haven't already, please do leave us a review. Those help us reach more people on the show. All right, great. Let's get started with this interview. Hey, Kent. How's it going? How you doing? Good. It's good to see you, David. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. I'm really excited to have you on and uh, be a, a great contributor to our listeners and have your experience um, or share your experience with everyone here. So I'm really excited to have you on. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about you. Why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do and all of that? I'd love for you to just tell everybody yourself kind of what got you to where you are. Yeah, great. Uh, thanks again for having me. Yeah, I'm at Kent. I live in Tacoma, Washington, and I'm a social worker here. Uh, I, in, I started in social work, sort of in foster care, then went to the nonprofit world. And now I'm uh, really finding my uh, passion for eating disorder recovery and body liberation. Uh, if that's been a process over the last year, year and a half or so. Uh, so getting into that and I work at an eating disorder clinic up in Seattle part-time and then uh, with the rest of my time do body liberation coaching as well as uh, some advocacy in the queer Christian world uh, about queer inclusion, especially uh, in nonprofits geared towards youth. Uh, so that's the other area of focus. Um, yeah, I, I'm gay. I uh, am, have had an eating disorder for well over 10 years and was start, started the recovery process a couple of years ago. And uh, it has changed my life in such a positive way that I think that's why I'm so passionate about sharing that, which leads me here. Good. And um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you mentioned here. Um, first off, what is body liberation? I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I'd love for the listeners to get your perspective. Yeah, uh, I connect with the term body liberation, uh, maybe more than body positivity or other uh, or body image, sort of those things. Other people really connect with those. And I'm not saying that's bad by any means. Uh, for me, I like body liberation, because it gets more to uh, the core, I think, of that for me, for my hope of my own body, and when I work with others, it's the hope of, like, liberating ourselves from the many systems that oppress us individually, collectively, um, and we all have different experiences of that. I, I'm a white, gay, cis man, so... I don't have a ton of, uh, well, there are others who have more experience with more layers of oppression. Uh, in my own experience, it's been really helpful to not just focus on like feeling good about my body, uh, because that is feeling good is sort of a thing that like ebbs and flows for all of us. Um, 
but liberation really gets it like the continual process of regardless of my feelings, regardless of my thoughts that I'm uh, divesting from, whether it's fat phobia, homophobia, um, ableism, uh, that there's like a deeper process to, regardless of whether I'm like, oh, I feel good about my body or bad about my body. Um, and yeah, I guess that's all I'll say about that for now. <laughs> don't, don't, don't you love when someone asks you about something that you say so normal and then you think, oh, wait, let me, let me put it into words now. <laughs> well, yeah. And I feel like I could keep rambling on yeah. about it. So I'm yeah. like, I'll just I know. stop myself. I'm like, let, let me jump in and help him a little bit. <laughs> I don't want him to feel like, yeah. Um, you, I, I want to tie something in that you said there because I think it's really fascinating to me. I think you relate more to it because of that weight oppression piece that you were mentioning about. I couldn't help but think that I talk with a lot of people that I work with in regards to the weight that I'd love to work on with you is the weight of the world that's sitting on your shoulders, not the the weight that you feel you think you have when you look in the mirror, right? Mm. And I think that that's really interesting. You also talk about... Of this again, the oppression part here, and then to fall in together with phobia, whether it's gay phobia or homophobia or uh, fat phobia, you know, it's interesting because then I think about what you mentioned a little while ago about uh, being in the queer Christian world and uh, how that phobia can really be tied into that Christian idea of what it is to be Christian, because of course, not so long ago, we can remember how a lot of Christian faiths would not have anything to do with queer people. Talk to me a little bit about how you intersect those worlds, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I, I see those sort of phobias is so related like for me and my church experience uh my church was incredibly homophobic and also incredibly fat phobic uh both from like the pulpit like anti-gay things as well as like weight loss advice from the pulpit which is uh, both are like why why spread that hate on sunday mornings but that was what my experience was uh i think both kind of come down to this idea of like there's one right way to be and that's like straight white thin uh and that it's somehow ordained by god that like there is this one right way of being and every other way is less good or even bad um so that's been helpful for me as i like unpack what i learned from the church both about anti-queerness and anti-fatness that like what I was told was the right way to be was actually totally made up and like based in white supremacy and racism. Um, So I'd say like for me with homophobia in the church, that was something that I like from day one until 24 when I finally came out was something I truly internalized. uh, And I'm still like unpacking for how that kind of shaped how I think of myself and uh, my body. Um, And for me, they really connected because given that my church was both homophobic and fat phobic, 
my body was like such a battleground of like, as I started to realize I was attracted to men, that that was something I really had to fight and was, it felt like a losing battle. So it kind of became a thing like, well, I can control my food. I can try to like, quote unquote, purify my body. Um, so that both kind of fed into each other in that way. And I'm assuming that that's the same approach you take when you say that um, you work with a lot of youth that are both either dealing with fat phobia or dealing with homophobia in that Christian uh, light as well. Is that what you mean by queer Christian world? Uh, I don't work so much directly with youth. I work more, my focus is on organizations, specifically this, the largest uh, youth, sort of youth group in the world called Young Life. They're a parachurch organization. Uh, They're in public schools around the country and around the world, but they're incredibly uh, homophobic and queer phobic in general. so I'm more on the advocacy level of mm. pointing out their homophobia, either having them change or have donors starting to pull support who uh, are not down with the queer, anti-queer policies. Um, then there are other organizations like Beloved Arise who do specific work with queer uh, kids of faith. But uh, like my sort of, uh, I'm drawn more to the systemic like advocacy rather than specifically with youth. And you mentioned a little while ago that, uh, so I apologize that it might sound like I'm jumping around, but I, I will probably bring this back in with what we're just talking about and the fat phobia, the homophobia. But you'd mentioned that you also had an eating disorder for over 10 years. Let's elaborate a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. What happened? What was your relationship to food and how did that, uh, uh, the eating disorder come about? And if you don't mind sharing your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so it started for me kind of like I mentioned at uh, church, like, oh, there's uh, like, quote unquote, gluttony is bad. You, if you get, you, you know, you don't be greedy sort of thing. Uh, and So it really started with like that very subclinical, just like thoughts about food. Then of course, like some uh, body, like, oh, I need to change my body. So it, so I look better, whatever. Um, And it sort of snowballed from there. That was mid high school. And as time went on, like I do, I think given that there's a lot of uh, myths about like men not having eating disorders. I think I did fall through the cracks of like, whether it was family or health professionals who I was clearly having an issue with food, but it was seen more as like maybe just athleticism, like on hyperdrive or like, Oh, like your body's changing. We need to change your medicine or something like that. Um, so it it took me until like my late 20s to finally go to a therapist and a dietitian and I like went to them sort of being like I'm having trouble not compulsively exercising I'm having trouble I felt like quote unquote out of control with food um they really like 
they stopped me and were like, this is an eating disorder. It's like, it's not like a little quirk. Like this is a real thing. Uh, and then started the really challenging, but incredibly life-giving process of, you know, learning to trust my body that I don't have to over control it with exercise or restriction. Um, and I think that's, and that was it liberating Jasper, uh, eating disorder clinic in Tacoma. Um, yeah. And it just like changed my life to realize I didn't have to, uh, completely like my life didn't have to be all about controlling my body. I, I think a part of my history as well, that was, uh, that I still unpack is that as a kid, I had a seizure disorder that was like a juvenile one that most kids grow out of. Uh, and that like really began a relationship with my body that was really about control that like I had so many doctor's appointments and tests and medicine to like just literally control my body from having another seizure um, so that's, you know, another aspect that sort of opened up the opportunity for an eating disorder. Uh, yeah. That's, so it, that's really interesting about that. Um, I see that quite often. Uh, in fact, uh, COVID has not helped in the least bit where COVID I'm seeing, um, an uptick, significant uptick. I actually had Angie die on, uh, episode 74 and she talked about how she started seeing an uptick of teens that um, are diagnosed with an eating disorder. And I can't help but think how much trauma plays into the desire to control. You know, you can't control this pandemic. You can't control the spread of this virus. You can't control a, a, um, a, a diagnosis or a seizure. So let me try to control the things in my body that will help me do that. So that's interesting. I, I didn't know about that. That's pretty impactful. And so I guess what you're saying is that that then gave you this sense of continuing the control, which is at the core of an eating disorder is the need to control. And as we know, control is but an illusion. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And it was like uh, part control, part like trying to fit in. I think a part of me inherently felt like I was quote unquote too much, like mm -hmm. being a gay kid in a Christian mm -hmm. environment. So I think a lot of it was uh, trying to manage like the oppression from the outside that I was experiencing. Yeah. And, and um, when you came out, did you notice that in the um, queer or gay environment that there's also a lot of pressures there too? Yeah, that, um, that is a very true thing. Like there's really intense body standards, uh, at least in like my experience of the gay world. Uh, I, I think as I like think about those body standards, it's really easy to sort of blame queer men for those standards. Like, Oh, they're shallow, they're vain. Uh, but like for take me, like I, my eating disorder was really well developed, like, so to speak. And like, by the time I came out and actually could realize that I was gay. Um, so I think I just want to say, like, I think those standards come from our trying to manage the ways we've been 
uh, pushed to the sides or toxic masculinity that internalized homophobia. Um, but yeah, with, there is a lot of fat phobia and racism in uh, gay spaces. Like for example, Grinder. it's a hookup app. There's like a lot of body shaming there. And Grinder was a helpful part of my coming out process to like explore my sexuality. And so it was positive, but I also experienced a lot of body, body shaming in that environment. So uh, I think my hope for body liberation and the queer male world especially is that there could be like sexual liberation without the body shame process that there, we don't have to choose like either hiding from gay spaces, but having comfort in our bodies or having discomfort in our bodies and being in a gay space. Like I truly believe we can have both. Uh, so one thing that I, that's interesting to me is that I work a lot in the gay community. I have many gay clients, both male and female, as well as transgender. And one of the things that I find that's really, really, really difficult is how to maneuver the relationship with food in that um, body image mentality and, and how difficult it is for especially a lot of the gay men that I work with, it's so strong. It's so, it's very intense. It's sort of a, a, a one client of mine called it, well, David, it's just the Adonis complex. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, you have to have this perfection, this body, the way it's supposed to look and the pressure gets put on. Um, and if you've already, like you said, right? If you've already had a well-functioning <laughs> eating disorder, you know, this only real really adds fuel to the fire. I want to see if you can talk a little bit about how you are maneuvering through all of that now, now that you are doing body liberation and how do you manage through a lot of that uh, stigmatization about that body image and the way you're supposed to look with eating and everything? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think in this, it's important to name, like, I feel like I have a fair amount of privilege that I could recover. And my body changed quite a bit, like, my body grew. Um, and I think that is like, that really can impact in like interpersonal relationships, like social dynamics. Uh, I'm grateful that I had a support system where I trusted that I could center my own recovery and would still be like loved and supported. Like really sad reality is that some people don't have that and that makes it even harder to recover. And like, so I just want to name, like there is, especially with, uh, I think trans folks that there can be like uh, body dysmorphia and also gender dysphoria and how that like, yeah, I don't, I can't, pretend that I know that experience. So, but for my own experience, uh, I think for me, it was really realizing that like truly I know I have friends or maybe more former friends who like are judging me for my body having changed. So it's like, do I want to center their thoughts about me in my life or do I want to center my own uh, well-being and like trust in my body and I've chosen my own, that's like, I've chosen to center my own needs. Uh, 
but it's not, sometimes it's, it's hard and it's awkward. And I have to remind myself like, no, my recovery and my body changing in ways that are like, quote unquote, away from the cultural ideal, uh, like that's what I need. And if others have a problem with that, like they can go live their life with that. It is sort of that grieving process of like an eating disorder is a way of coping or a way of like trying to fit in. So as recovery happens, there are some things to grieve, whether it's control or friendships that have to be let go of because they aren't helpful for recovery. Um, yeah, and if you're yeah. if you're the type of person that um, is a people pleaser or um, socially dependent or emotionally dependent on others, or have dependency issues, difficulty being alone, or trying to belong or trying to fit in, it's very very easy to use that disorder in order to try to fit in or say, well. I don't really like this person and they're body shaming me, but you know what? He's part of this group and I'm going to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to take it while in the meantime, they're both directly or indirectly saying something to you about your body or the way you're eating. Mm-hmm. And therefore it relates to you. I'm doing bad. I'm not doing something good. This is not, I should be doing better. I shouldn't be eating like this because, you know, in order for them to like me, I've got to look a certain way. This is not at, at, at all different in uh, the heterosexual community where men in particular are trying to, it goes back to that hyper or toxic masculinity of I've got to look a certain way or I've got to be a certain way. I've And then that falls into I've got to eat a certain way. You know, I've got to have a 12 ounce steak and potatoes. And that's what it means to be a man. You know, we define our masculinity in such narrow terms like that to belong, to be a part of that group. And it's it makes it really, really hard when you have that dependency to want to let go of that person or to be able to sit uncomfortably with that and go, hmm, I don't think I need to be with that person. That's, that's not helping me in my life or that's not bringing that positivity that I need. It's hard to see that. And I, I love that you brought in the the thin privilege and the, the the idea of you know you're in a lot better place than some other people that are saying okay david yeah i hear you but you know i'm a, from a poor environment and i didn't have that upbringing and i don't have a christian faith or uh i don't have a good foundation to fall back on you know uh, yeah that's so hard again whether you're straight or gay or not yeah yeah and i think with some of the clients I've worked with, there is this, uh, and I, I'm married now, but when I was in the dating scene, I also felt this, but this like idea that like, I have to change my body to find a partner. Like mm-hmm. if that's what someone that's a good wants, one. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think for me, uh, in my own life, like I'm really thankful that I, when I met my husband, Mike, that I, I kind of like, since we met my eating disorder, like took sort of a nosedive, but before we met, like, I'm thankful that I wasn't like seeking out someone who really was like, I need someone with the perfect body or whatnot. Like, cause that's like, to me, that's a sign of 
some of their other toxic traits. Like if someone is saying, I need this, like whatever my partner to have a quote unquote perfect body, that's a sign that they're not like that cool of a person, I think. So my hope for others is to uh, trust that if others have a problem with their body dating wise, like that that's a bullshit detector that like it's, it's okay not to have those like assholes sort of interested in you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have a question. I, I hope, I hope you don't mind me interrupting you. You bring something up that was interesting. It made me think, well, uh, how long, have, how long have you been married? Uh, say five years, five years. Five years. Yeah. Okay. And so when you met Mike, your husband, did, were you in a place where you were already sort of coming through your both identity as well as your eating disorder? So I, by the time we met, I was very proud about my gayness and that was like, yeah. But at that time when we met, my eating disorder was under like, quote unquote, under control where like, I could still get by in life. But I was like, so I you wasn't, were, you, quote, unquote, you were a functioning perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was, and I wasn't like really quote unquote normal with food. Like I had quirks, same with movement. I had like sort of rigid rules, uh, but it was a few years until I would realize like that it was problematic, uh, which is one of those things that those quirks that I had like years before I found treatment, I wonder if those would have been sort of flagged as an eating disorder. Mm. If, if there weren't those like, sort of myths about men not having eating disorders. Uh, but. Did Mike also have uh eating disorder or the same problems? No, Mike, uh, something I'm really grateful for is that's not one of his challenges. Mm. So it's, uh, I appreciate that uh, he like can, especially when I was really struggling, like he, he would help sort of call that bullshit. Uh, mm -hmm. But also there were, I think it really came down to me needing to realize I needed help. Like he would say things, but it really came down to me making the choice to seek out help. I'm sorry. I can't help but think that when I'm working with clients, one of the things that happens quite often um, is that they start when they, when they discover intuitive eating when I'm working with them and, and they're starting to really get it a feel for their body again. And then it's starting to trust themselves and they're starting to pay more attention. They start realizing that food isn't really the problem. Their eating really isn't the problem. And they start realizing there are little other areas and aspects, not little, but other areas or aspects of their lives. And so they're starting to see the transformation in different areas, like the relationships that they're in. And I often say, especially when people are trying to find a mate or a partner. And I say to them, you know, what you're doing is you're working on you. And I often will say something like, who's the type of person you want to be with? What, if you can be with anyone, what qualities would they possess? And they say things like, well, they need to like make me laugh and they need to be confident and they need to be um, flexible and they need to enjoy activity, but not be rigid. And they need to be, they say all of the things that they are trying to be themselves. Mm. So I couldn't help but think that 
Mike probably represented that somehow. And you were getting to that place somewhere. There was probably, mm. I don't know. I'm not trying yeah. to, to do counseling on you <laughs> on, on this here, but I can't help. It's like, oh, wow, this is so similar to a lot of people. So first and foremost, let me, before I go on, let me say, I'm, I'm so happy for you. You found your husband. And I think that that is so fantastic. We all need that level of support. And I, I, you know, I joke with my wife because she'll, <laughs> she'll say sometimes she listens sometimes. So I'm laughing because I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to tell me something about this, but she'll often say, well, when we have fights, like I'm sure you and Mike have fights, right? Um, you know, relationships are hard <laughs> and they're not easy. So it's the same thing with us. When I tell clients, when we're changing the way you're eating, when we're changing your relationship to food what's going to happen is you're going to fight with yourself. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be difficult. This is not going to be easy. We've got to undo the years of diet culture and diet mentality and restriction and rules. And, oh, here's the, the P word, the perfectionism that has been such a part of our vernacular for, or, you know, humanity for so many years. So uh, I love tying that in a little bit. I hope you don't mind that I kind of was a little tangential there, but um, I think it's really, really, it speaks really, really well to, you know, finding yourself, finding that transition in your life. I, so I'm, I'm guessing that Mike was a good support system for you along the way in your, in your transition, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mike was a huge support uh, in that and continues to be. And yeah, I think for me, that's uh, like, I wanted to pursue like a partner and I like in a monogamous marriage, I know other people don't have that desire. And I know they like others find support in other ways. Uh, so yeah, but Mike and I, we, I think it's, I'm glad for that. We both, we met at a gay Bible study actually. So we both have like, yeah, which is kind of a random thing, but we (laughs) have, uh, a shared experience of like the, being a gay kid in a conservative environment. Mm, uh, yeah. So I appreciate that. I think we can like bounce ideas off each other as we continue to unpack what, what that meant for us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a little sad when I start thinking of what I grew up in. Uh, I grew up in the Catholic church mm. and it's, I don't know in the Catholic church, it's still so bad. It's, there's still so much phobia, um, both uh, about queerness and fatness. Mm. And oh gosh, it's just so so tough. I I don't know. I don't know if I'm qualified to really talk about the Catholic Church. There's this love hate relationship that I have mm. with the Catholic Church. You know, I I love the 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 what's the word that I want to use the moral foundations that it provided me, but I despise the hypocrisy and the phobia. Uh, It's just, and, and then the, the the patriarchy that exists in the Catholic church too. I mean, there's there's so many of those things, you know, but um, it's so nice to hear how you met Mike in that queer Bible study. I think that's really, really cool. I, I don't want to spend too much. Poor Mike. I don't want to make him feel like, oh, like oh, Mike, he talked about you the whole time. <laughs> um, 
I, I brought up a word here. So again, I'm, I'm going to move over to something here. Let's talk about this uh, eating perfectly. You and I talked about this offline a little bit. I'd love for us to explore that because um, whether gay, straight or not, I mean, oh gosh, that perfect eating thing is just so, what kind of diets or what kind of restricting did you do? And what um, would you say that you're starting to see a lot with the the people that you're working with in eating, reco- uh, eating disorder recovery? Yeah, I think- in my experience, and this relates with others as well, that like, I, when I was, didn't, when I was very clearly in a disordered place with food, but didn't know I was, uh, you know, I didn't think I was dieting or restricting because I wasn't like, I wasn't on any of the popular diets. It was just more of a like, uh, oh, I'm trying to like, quote unquote, eat healthy or something like that. Uh, So I think, and a lot of that was tied up in, like you said, this perfectionism of there's one right way to eat, there's one good way to eat, and every other way is bad. Uh, And I think so a lot of that was wrapped up both in like the body, like looks sort of thing, then also a lot of health fears of, because I know for me from elementary school through high school, I would like, there was so much like health class stuff that was vilifying types of foods or saying you have to move your body uh, in this way to be like quote unquote healthy or whatnot. Um, So there's, I think a lot of rules that are just given in our society that uh, I really took and became super perfectionistic about. Um, And I see that in, some of the really popular diets, I don't even want to like say their names, like to give them advertising, yeah, but like, let's not do that. I've done that too yeah. many times on this show. <laughs> I, I actually told somebody the other day, I'm like, I got to stop doing that because I bring them up because they're so prevalent, but yeah, I'm glad that you're saying that. So, yeah. yeah but so all these like, uh, diets that will really like market to men as, oh uh, yeah, like, you know, it's the, right way or the manly way to eat or something and it's really these like diets that are just like repackaged and sold to a new market and men uh that so I really sort of push against those both for like my own space like I don't I don't want those ads in my Instagram feed like all that and also I uh just hope those can start to like decrease in popularity because I see a lot of men, both like clients, but also friends, family members who are really impacted by this fear of like, I have to eat for this program. And if I'm outside of it, then, you know, I'm doing a bad thing or something. Yeah. You, you know, you bring up, I had to look her up because I was like, wait, wait, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name. I was listening to Heather Kaplan's podcast, um, RD Real Talk. And uh, I forget who she had as her guest, but they were talking about how um, the marketing world for food companies is designed well maybe it wasn't on Heather's show I can't remember which podcast <laughs> I listened to so many but um there were there's a lot of marketing that's so tagged to men either gender so for example the one example that I thought of that they kind of brought up on was 
uh, Diet Dr. Pepper. Mm-hmm. And I thought of Coke Zero. So Diet Coke is very, it's, I don't know if you noticed this, but Diet Coke is very popular in the feminine space. And so if you think about uh, the red dress event or the red dress um, events that, that are happening, it's usually about women's heart health. And the biggest sponsor to that is Diet Coke. Wow. And wow. so you don't see, uh, see Coke Zero in that or Coca-Cola, right? And so, yeah, okay, I get it, Diet Coke, right? But so for Coke Zero, though, you don't see Coke Zero in feminist or feminine ads. You see it in a lot of male ads, right? It's Coke Zero versus Diet Coke. So mm-hmm. it's very subtle in the way they portray it. And the, the Diet Dr. Pepper, that's another one. The doctor is saying you can have Dr. Pepper, but it's not called Diet Dr. Pepper. I forgot what terminology mm-hmm. it was. Another one that I think of is frozen meals. So Hungry Man is what yeah. the one I'm thinking about, Definitely. right? So it's sort of this dichotomy. On one hand, they're saying eat like a, a pig, and another, uh, eat like uh, you know, perfect, clean, superfood kind of thing. It's like, yeah. oh, geez. Yeah, and and that's actually funny. You mentioned Coke Zero because in in college I had studied business is mm-hmm. like a minor, mm-hmm. uh, a minor in business, and he, our teacher talked about Coke Zero and also Pepsi Max, that it was these like same exact things, but repackaged because of that toxic masculinity thing. Like, oh, you're not supposed to be on a diet because that's a women's thing. And it's like bad to be a woman or something. So like changing it, but just making it masculine, which I think ties into that, like uh, probably a part of why it's, there's still a myth about men not having an eating disorder is because there's so much toxic masculinity that we're not supposed to be feminine or have uh, same challenges as women, which is just like super sexist and not like at oh, all so much. helpful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, and you know, uh, when you say toxic masculinity, I think it's very important to, uh, di- to distinguish that that is irrelevant of gender identity or sexual orientation. You can have toxic masculinity if you're gay or straight. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's one of these just learned behaviors, learned traits that is pushed on from generation to generation to generation too. And so, oh gosh, it's, that's another thing that pushes that envelope. I had Patrick Bryant, who is a licensed clinical social worker. So he's on uh, the clinical side of what you do, right? Yeah. And, uh, or I should say the therapy side of what you do. And uh, him and I had a talk about uh, hyper and toxic masculinity. And, oh gosh, it is just, it's, it's very subtle in our societal norms, the way it seeps in. And then again, I, I, I'm bringing the word perfectionism in again is because, you know, you've got to f- be that kind of guy. And when you're not that kind of guy, then, well, forget it. Everything falls by the wayside or look at me. I'm horrible. So it's kind of like, again, those extremes, right? Oh, man. Yeah, And and I just want to say, like, in my experience, like, my favorite people are the people that don't fit the mold of whether it's masculinity or whatnot. Like, 
being squarely fit into these societal norms isn't like, it's really boring. It's really like, it's not that fun. <laughs> so like, I, I just want to say like people who break the molds are, uh, I think I have a, a lot of appreciation for those of us that do that. Yeah. It's like when I go to Toronto, Canada, for example, um, you walk in around Toronto, Canada, and it's so refreshing because you look at people's faces and you can tell there's a world of faces in their faces. There's, mm. there's so much intermix of genders, of um, ethnicities and people. And uh, not that, you know, Toronto is this utopia or anything <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but I just love to see those, those different, those are cool. Those are fun. Yeah. Those are different, but you know, it is, it's also the harder we try to be different. We're trying hard to be the same in that different group. <laughs> that that's the, the, the extreme that, I, that I think we're also talking about too. Um, all right. You, you mentioned a, another word in here that I think uh, I, I wanted to get to, you know, you and I talked a little bit about it as well. You mentioned it. And so this health fear that uh, you brought up and how um, society and marketing companies uh, vilify certain foods, schools, you know, USDA, the food pyramid and the, the healthy plate, right? Mm-hmm. You vilify a lot of these foods, shoulds, the shown, the shoulds, the, sh- the don'ts, the shoulds. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's bring in this whole healthism, right? So being healthy, let's, let's talk about it from the man's perspective, right? What does it mean to be healthy, quote unquote, and I'm bringing those air quotes in, in a man's world? Hmm. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I feel like for me, it's what I've seen is like that gym rat sort of like, you need to be the perfect quote unquote, like mix of thin, but muscular, but tall, but not too tall, not blah, 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 uh, that there's this like moving target of what that like outward looks of health is. But then of course there's all those, like there's a lot of health markers that can be, uh, you know, for, for medical reasons, some people need to like watch those for specific kinds of like medical concerns, which I don't have. So I can't like speak to that, but, um, yeah, like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, rheumatoid arthritis, mental disorders. yeah, and, and I think, uh, well, I'm speaking mostly about, like, diabetes, where there might be that, but I think there's also, for me, it, like, it became an obsession to be, like, oh, well, I can't have, like, what's my blood pressure? What's my beats per minute? What's VO2 max? Whatever is, uh, and I think that can become its own sort of, it can become the new thin ideal, like, okay, I'm not worried about being thin, but is like, as long as my health markers are fine, then I'm okay. Like that sort of idea. I think that's just as disordered as the thin ideal, because it is still this, like finding some construct to say my body is good or my body is bad. Uh, So I think there's an important way of like, uh, if people want to, they can explore things that might impact their health or like their physical health markers. But when that becomes a moral obligation or a like good person, bad person thing, I think that's like just as harmful. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think about, 
one other piece to this, and that is a lot of clients that I've worked with, right? You, I will get a male client who comes to see me and he's working out, uh, going to the gym three, four times a week and things are going well. He goes to the doctor, has a physical and the doctor realizes or tells him your cholesterol is starting to tick up. Woo. I mean, it's like the whirlwind of things now start coming in. Oh, I, I'm not healthy. Um, and now the idea is, okay, I better work on my diet. I'm like, oh boy, this is where it starts really unraveling here. And the reason why I'm bringing up cholesterol is because the foundation of cholesterol recommendations that we have in our society today is based solely on the, um, uh, Farmingham studies. Um, from the what the early 30s or late 30s, early 40s in the United States. And this was um, done in a area in the New, New England area where they looked at a cohort of men and just men. So all of our cholesterol recommendations essentially come from a group of people in a part of the country that 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 showed cholesterol uh, circumstances and issues. And they looked at saturated fat mainly. They look at cholesterol levels. And so we have the lipid panel, which looks at total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, maybe VLDL, or maybe non-HDL cholesterol, triglycerides, and then maybe other cholesterol. So those are all the lipid panel concept. And that's all based on the Farmingham studies. The problem with that is, is that this is men. <laughs> now, granted, they looked at men and then they looked at the next generation of that, those men and then the next generation of those men. And it was all done in men. And it's a very big study. But these people lived to be a certain age only. And they are a subset of society in a place in the world. People are living many, much longer lives now. Cholesterol isn't really the same thing anymore. So I come to say, this guy goes into the doctor. The doctor says your cholesterol is 210. And yeah, it could be dangerous, but we don't know this person's history. We don't know what is going on. And the problem is, is that God, guy now starts thinking, oh, I've got to eat healthy. One of the problems that I see quite a bit is, especially with men, is I'm not going to do a pill. No, I'm not going to touch a pill. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have a pill. I'm not going to do that. And so then starts heading down this, all right, how can I change my diet? How can I change my diet? How can I work out more, right? And this is all going to that healthism. It's like the fear of health. And so, yeah, you, you know, you're, you can have a cholesterol ticking up, but I don't know if it requires a person to drastically change every way they are eating. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe we should probably start looking at, and this is like the whole concept in intuitive eating, that gentle nutrition. All right, well, let's look at some things that maybe you're just eating too much of and maybe start paying attention to how you feel around that. Mm. Um, So I think that, you know, I I love that you're bringing in this idea of this health fear because it really just hits us really hard. I also have a lot of clients that get diagnosed with diabetes and live 30 or 40 years after that. (laughs) And, you know, they're in their 40s and then they get diabetes and it's like, or they got di- diagnosed with diabetes and now they're in their 60s. And I'm like, okay, so you lived 30 more years, 
<laughs> yeah. And I think that's such a important thing. Like even with diabetes, which has so much focus of like, kind of like blaming people who have it or like, oh, people with diabetes can't eat any sugar or carbs. Like there's amazing fat positive dietitians who work with folks with diabetes that like talk about that, like a way of relating with food that can be both like helpful with people who have diabetes and also doesn't give into that, like food shaming or like, no, you can't have any of this because it's like true. Any, uh, any forced restriction, whether for like looks or health will inevitably cause like some harm with your relationship with food. So like how to, uh, and I think for me, it's been the most important that even if I did have like an elevated blood pressure or some health marker, uh, I personally want to center my relationship with food and how do I feel about that? Because no matter how long I live, if I have to live with like an eating disorder just to live long, like, no, like I, I choose a short life. Like, yeah. 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 So, so there's like, there's a lot in there that I think uh, are sort of like, capitalistic culture doesn't mm. love like it's all about extending life perfecting life being in quote-unquote good health uh that i'm like no what if we truly just like lived and didn't have rules about like like we can just eat what we want and like yeah right carry on like yeah, yeah. right right oh i love that i had uh elise resh on the show uh, co-author of intuitive eating not so long ago and i i i, I asked her about a quote that a line in the beginning of the forward of the book about how when she or they just, uh, had the book out that people were coming to her and saying, okay, so does that mean I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want? And that's also what we're not saying here. It's not like, oh man, it's just continue eating Oreos only and you'll be fine clearly, I mean, if you eat too much, you're just not going to feel good of anything. If you eat too much of anything, you're not going to feel good. Um, I think it, this is not that either. It's also a matter of paying attention to what it, your body is needing. Um, I want to touch yeah, on... And, go ahead. Oh, and, and with that, I think for me, it's important to give people agency that like, if someone wants to eat just Oreos for their whole life, like they have the right to do that. And that it's like your body will, you know, like your you body can, will guide you to how much yeah. you should have because you're not going to feel too good if you have too many. Yeah. It will. And also just like truly that if someone doesn't even want to listen to their body, they just want to eat Oreos, even if it feels bad. Like, again, that's their right. So it's like, that, sure. I think that body liberation thing of like true autonomy is like, is the oh. goal. Yeah. That's so cool that you say that because I talked to Evelyn Triboli too. And that's one of the things that we really touched on is that autonomy. I just had a consult with a client not too long ago and we talked just about that. I, I said to him, look, if I tell you, you can't have something, the desire to have it is going to be greater or your mind's going to be constantly now thinking about it. It doesn't help us in any regard. And so if you want to have that, you can have 
whatever it is that you're going to want to have. That I, I love that because I was going to ask you, what more do you mean by body liberation? And I love that you touched that. Yeah, that's that unshackling yourself from that rigidity that we're living in society. Definitely. Man, that's great. I love that you're bringing that up. So what I'm going to hit you up with a couple last questions here as we wrap up. So right. what would you say is one thing that you like people to know or to do that will liberate their body? Hmm. Um, I think something I would encourage people who are like having some sort of body distress or concern about their bodies is to really like ponder where their ideals or where their like, uh, thoughts or rules about their body come from and who those rules serve. Uh, I know for me, it was really important for me to ponder like, oh, my focus on whether it was health or like shrinking my body, that those had a direct correlation to things like racism, things like sexism that I didn't value. Like I didn't want my life to be about those things. Um, and to realize that the, like, that wouldn't serve me or anyone well to like keep trying to change myself to fit into those like racist and sexist boxes. Um, yeah. And I guess this, uh, I'll do a bonus, an extra one, uh, would sure, be like, go ahead. <laughs> that, uh, like just focusing on desire, like what, what do you want and to trust like within, we all have financial constraints, time constraints, uh, but like just to trust that we are here on earth for a limited time and uh, to really center what, to follow our desires in food and body and just trusting that uh, those desires in our bodies can be trusted uh, is I think a liberating thing in a world that tries to make us not trust our bodies. Can I, if you don't mind, can I add something to these? Because I think they tie in really well. Yeah. Regarding the first one, which is ponder your, uh, ponder your food and body rules and who they serve. I love that. It really speaks to that liberation. Of course, the major piece to that. I love that right there. It gives that interoceptive awareness as well. Um, and in regards to focus on your desire, I love hearing that because I, that goes to this curiosity. And I've talked about that. I love that Einstein said curiosity is more important than knowledge because knowledge is finite. There's knowledge that you are always going to gain, but you only have that level of knowledge. So curiosity, I love that you're sort of talking about that. So I hope, mm -hmm. hope you don't mind. I No, I Definitely moved it over that. to that. I, I love that. But I, I loved hearing that. I thought that that was really special. I, I love the other one too, the first one, which is who does it serve? That's so good. I mean, that's a really impactful. If it's not serving you, then you really are shackled when you think about it. Definitely. Yeah. Oh man, and that's it, that's great. And those rules typically serve like people and companies that aren't interested in our well-being. So, right, yeah. right, 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 right. They're just interested in the dollar, Diet mm -hmm. Coke versus Coke Zero. 
Uh, I'm sorry for you Coke lovers. I'm not trying to bash <laughs> Coke, you know, it's marketing ploy, you know, that's it. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you a nice fun question. Um, okay. I ask this of all my guests. It's just fun thing. Uh, if you were stranded on a desert island and it was the last meal that you can have and it could be cooked for you in any way you want, what would it be? Oh, good question. Uh, I think it would be like uh, breakfast for dinner, like waffles and peanut butter, especially and syrup like that. That's, I think, my favorite food, especially like peanut butter and waffles. So, yeah, I'd go with that. Oh, I love it. I, that, that's so cool that someone said you're you're after my wife's heart. She loves breakfast food for dinner and dinner food for breakfast. <laughs> oh, OK. That's so uh, countercultural. I love yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my wife. She is. She's not going to go with the norm. She's going to go against the grain. That's so awesome. it, was, it was great to hear that. Um, okay. Kent, thank you so much for being a, an awesome guest. I really love our conversation. I think that this is really, really important to allow men to understand a little bit more about intuitive eating, about health at every size, about body liberation and the work that you are doing. Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, I'm mostly on Instagram at Kent Thomas MSW. And then my website is also www.kentthomasmsw.com. Uh, yeah, and you can follow me on Instagram, reach out, and yeah, I welcome uh, people's thoughts. And I, yeah, look forward to connecting. Oh, man, that's cool. Absolutely. I'll have those links on my show notes as well so people can connect through there as well. Hey, Kent, thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate you for doing this. Uh, any last thoughts? No, yeah, I so appreciate your time. And I, uh, to any listeners, I just send, uh, sending my love and care as you all continue to do your work or interpersonally. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Cool. Thanks a lot, Kent. I appreciate you. I'll talk to all you right. soon. All right. Thanks, David. Wow. Thanks, Kent, for such great thought-provoking conversation, some great information about what body liberation is. Uh, for our listeners, for those of you tuning in, if you want to get more information, please visit the show notes where I will have links to Tank Kent and his website and uh, all of the information that we shared on the show so you can get a little bit of a better understanding of body liberation directly as well. I just want to also say thank you for listening in. I want to remind you of some great episodes coming up. I've got Aron Flores, who is a registered dietitian and a body trust coach, which is really cool. We'll have him in next week, so stay tuned. And then after that, I've got another special guest who is a body-positive, weight-inclusive personal trainer, and she owns a fitness uh, center here in Atlanta called Clarity Fitness. So we'll have her on the show the following week after that. So stay tuned. I've got some great guests coming up and uh, some great conversations and topics. So with that said, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so. That is a great way to get our episodes downloaded directly to your podcast player of choice. And lastly, if you haven't yet had an opportunity to leave a review, I'd greatly appreciate if you do that. That helps those reviews help us get this show out to more people that are looking for these great topics. Okay, folks, until then, I just want to say, remember, chop that diet mentality 
fuel your body and nourish your soul. Hasta pronto. Oh, yeah.